You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 149 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. I would like to thank Oscar N for becoming a patron and supporting the podcast. And that means a lot. And one has become two. And that's so cool. Click the Patreon link on naturalbornalchemist.com if you want to join this intergalactic round table of patrons. Now for the past month or so, our ears and eyes have been subjugated to an intense media hurricane which has resulted in many countries into a movement of enraged women. I am of course talking about the Harvey Weinstein scandal and the hashtag MeToo movement. And hashtag MeToo means that somebody who hashtags something MeToo in social media, it means that they too have been sexually harassed. And, you know, 99% of these tweets or posts uh, are are done by women of course and there are a few men as well and the me too social media movement which uh, went viral after actress Elisa Milano shared it on Twitter has reached dozens of countries and millions of people Twitter confirmed to CBS News that over 1.7 million tweets included the hashtag me too with 85 countries that had at least a thousand Me Too tweets. This hashtag quickly went viral in the wake of dozens of sexual harassment and assault accusations against Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein. Other similar revelations have occurred with celebrities in power positions in other countries as well. Women take to the streets, there are huge demonstrations, and everyone is angry. And I understand. I understand and I agree that things need to change. But the only question and comment I have regarding this whole Me Too affair is the following. Children, little girls, babies... Burned, their skin falling off. Starving, their little stomachs shriveled up like raisins. Their eye sockets looked like holes. And their mothers and fathers, dead or missing. Alone, born into a world of gas, of bombs, of blood, of death. Born into death. There are wars happening right now in the world. Major conflicts. Wars that are a result of our own commercial lifestyle. And the children are suffering. And I ask, where are the marches? Where are the demonstrations? Where are the 1.7 million tweets? Where are these Suffering children's hashtag. Nowhere. Nowhere. 
I'm sorry. I don't want to start this podcast episode with such a downer, but I feel it is my duty to inject this perspective. As Bill Hicks used to say, There's dick jokes on the way. Please relax. (laughs) Now, considering what I just did was a play on perspectives and relative realities. So let's now focus on another topic of a similar sort that has suffered similar problems, namely drugs. And we need to look at drugs from a new perspective. And I know in this podcast we talk a lot about psychedelics and uh, Uh, Talking about a different perspective on psychedelics uh, as opposed to what mainstream society thinks about it is preaching to the choir. But what about cocaine, heroin, amphetamine and all these other drugs? Well, my guest today is D.M.T. Rott, Dominic Milton Trott, who has written a book called The Honest Drug Book. So thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you. It's my privilege to be here. So could you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and, and what you've uh, been doing? Well, originally there was no story at all. I was um, My background with drugs is familiar, similar to most people of my generation. Um, I had um, I sampled cannabis at university. Um I had an LSD trip in my early 20s, um, and pretty much that was it. Till in, in later on, in a few years later, I ran across a, a small book um, called Legal Highs by Adam Gottlieb, um, and it, it was very, very small, uh, and it basically covered a few botanicals uh, which had psychoactive effects. Um, I found that quite interesting and decided to try a couple just out of curiosity. Um, unfortunately for me, uh, one of those I, I chose to sample was nutmeg, um, which induced an experience that was so horrendous uh, that I didn't touch another psychoactive drug for, for 10, 15 years. Um, and it was only later on when I was uh, intrigued by uh, some of the videos on YouTube by Terence McKenna and Sheldrake and, and, and others that I realised that, hey, I really should try, in particular, ayahuasca. Um, and in the run-up to that, I, I sampled a few other bits and pieces, but uh, I, I was really fascinated by the, the entire uh, story uh, of ayahuasca, the background, the... the um, all of it really. So I planned to go to Peru to um, sample and and, uh, and have a, an ayahuasca journey. Um, and in the research, and I realised I had to research and understand exactly what I was going to be doing. Um, I uncovered a lot of other material that, that I found to be interesting. Um, I also uncovered a lot of facets of drug taking which were, were alarming, um, in particular on the forums UK Chemical Research Forum, Blue Light, Reddit, etc., um, that people were dying, um, and I found that quite disturbing. I didn't obviously consider that I could do anything about that, uh, but I was well aware of it, and it, it sort of 
made me um, intensively aware that I should be very, very careful uh, with, with the drugs I was taking, which were uh, exclusively psychedelics, um, which I understood were benign relative to other drugs, but nonetheless. Um, and it was after the ayahuasca trip that um, I suddenly gained the confidence to actually carry on the, the uh, drug exploration, uh, primarily botanicals to begin with, uh, but chemicals too, um, but always with a, 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 an understanding that uh, I was playing in, in choppy waters uh, and there were risks. Um, and over that period, uh, a few years ago, I, I developed a set of procedures for personal use that uh, I realised were necessary to safeguard my welfare. Um, and I put them into practice with every single uh, drug that I took and experimented with. And eventually I put the two ends together with the my own procedures and the, the deaths I was encountering from time to time on forums uh, and realised that perhaps my own notes experiments, procedures might be useful to the wider community. And that was the seed of the book uh, as, it, as it started to develop. Um, so it was relatively early in the journey that I understood that this was possible. Um, but it took a while before I actually um, realised that I could do this um, and that it was uh, it, it could actually be of value to other people. Once I once I, I grasped that picture, I became almost obsessed with with completing the mission, with going through all the drugs and all the botanicals um, that I had identified uh, were commonly in use. So that's that's broadly the story as it began, um, and of course with any adventure like this. Um, it took various tangents and, and, and routes that I just would never have foreseen uh, when I initially started. Um, and it basically consumed me for probably about three or four years. I want to get back to what you said in the beginning when you mentioned nutmeg, because most people have nutmeg in their house in some form. And I've al always known it uh, has some psychoactive effects. And I've read somewhere that sometimes people in prison uh, use nutmeg because it's easily available and most people don't know that you can use it this way. But I, I also read uh, somewhere that uh, it's very easy to overdose on it, like it's very strong. Can you talk a bit about so people don't go into the kitchen after this episode and just eat all their nutmeg? No, that, that would be a disaster. It's it's uh, it's a deliriant Um And I ask the question in the book, in the section that introduces delirium, does anybody actually like being delirious? Um, it's a state of confusion, often nausea. Uh, it, it isn't a pleasant experience. I mean, delirium is is uh, often associated with serious illness. Um, so it's, it's, it's not something that's usually considered to be desirable. Uh, and, and clearly it wasn't in my case. I, I'd read this in the, in the book. Um, I'd identified what I thought at the time was a, a reasonable dose. I think it was one nutmeg and a half, something, one and a quarter. I can't remember exactly, uh, which I'd chewed on um, during the early evening. Uh, I'm not really sure what 
what to expect when I was doing this. I thought maybe it would be a bit psychedelic, and and I certainly didn't uh, didn't actually uh, enjoy it in any shape or form. It was an, it was a horrendous experience. Um, I chewed it probably about six o'clock in the evening, seven o'clock, nine or ten o'clock, nothing. Um, I thought, well, that, that didn't work. So I went to bed, and uh, during the evening, during the night, probably about one o'clock, uh, I got I, I woke, tried to go to the toilet, um, and couldn't really manage. I was crawling on my hands and knees, and it was like everything was spinning. I felt sick. I felt, my head was in, in severe pain. I was feeling like my hands were actually going into the the floorboards as I crawled along, and it was, it was, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. I managed to get back into bed eventually, and lie, and 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 for days after the next morning, it was the mother of all hangovers, and I just felt ill, stomach was hurting, head was aching, I wasn't with, it. and and it was like, I mean, delirians are sometimes referred to as poisons. Uh, and it was like being poisoned. It, it was, it was absolutely there was absolutely no benefit from the experience. There was no pleasure from to, to be gleaned from the experience. No knowledge. It was just it's just like uh, inducing serious, severe illness, um, which just wouldn't go away. Um, so that was the last. Uh, delirium type I actually ever had because you know, you know you, why would you why would you voluntarily uh, commit yourself to an experience of of that nature with so much pain and misery it was it was appalling and and as, as I said earlier it, it, it stopped me uh, taking any psychoactives for for many years because I was just my God that's that's I don't want to go anywhere near that again ever. Um, so go into the kitchen, have a nutmeg, never, don't, don't go near nutmeg, um, and, uh, ever. Um, and if you know, I mean, I've, I've posted on forums when kids have been discussing it, you know, just don't do it because it's not, it, it's not, uh, it's not a drug trip. It's, it's, uh, it's a poison and, and it, it can, it can easily kill. Uh, you have it in food, and it, there's no effect. So, is there like a like you have to eat a lot, I guess? So, just sprinkle it. Yeah, I would think probably you probably have an effect after half a nutmeg. I mean, it's, it will vary, like like most drugs, from person to person, based on um, physiological attributes. Um, but it. You know, a, a tiny fraction. Of, you're right. I mean, your nutmeg is is like a spice, and it's used with food. Uh, but you have half a nutmeg or a full nutmeg, and you're going to be seriously ill um, and have a very, very unpleasant experience. What I thought was interesting about your book was that uh, there are a lot of books about. Uh, you know, cannabis and psychedelics, especially these days when it's uh, more popular than ever, uh, and it's uh, it uh, has a sort of uh, second coming since the sixties. But with your book, you also used all these drugs that the people in the ayahuasca and psychedelic communities abhor. You know, like uh, uh, what you call the hard drugs and. Uh, uh, most people will never 
you know, try those drugs. But is there a way to do those hard drugs where it's like, you know, once or twice a year you you go on a binge and drink a bunch of alcohol and get really drunk? Or instead you do one of these hard drugs? Because the the propaganda in society is that, you know, if you touch certain hard drugs, then you're hooked and then your life is ruined. You know, that's the message. That's usually not true. Um, it and But it very much depends on, on the drug. Uh, I mean, the first thing that I understood and one of the things I press hard in the book is is whatever drug you, you, you got to take, research, research and research. Um, because take, take what a hard drug heroin. Um, I didn't actually know anything about it, uh, other than the, the sort of fear mongering and the the uh, propaganda of the media. So I was starting from a a, a knowledge point of zero. Um, now, without understanding that people are addicted and the stories that people are addicted after a single dose, uh, I, I realised that there are serious risks and some of it might be true. So starting from zero and I, I spent quite a long time, days, perhaps a week, solidly uh, seeking to understand what is this substance, what is the dose, what is it going to do to me, uh, what are the risks, uh, how much can I have without uh, risking overdose, uh, everything you would need to know, and I made sure I understood it, and, and, and I recorded it, and I, I wrote up the a lot of the stuff I write up before I take the the drug. Uh, so that's I've set the parameters. This is the expectation. This is this is the onset, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then I take precautions, like you know, well, this is the maximum amount that I can safely consume of of this drug, heroin in this case, uh, without taking undue risk. And then the rest of it, uh, I've been getting out of my possession, make sure I can't get to it in case. Because once you've started uh, dosing, it's a, it, very often with a lot of drugs, it's you, you, your judgment is impaired, you, you you lose your your common sense to a degree, and you're liable to carry carry on binging beyond the point at which you, you originally didn't plan. So I always made sure that wasn't going to happen, especially with a drug like heroin or, or, or some of the others uh, that've got a reputation. Um, so I, I, it was all a question of of research and work and establishing the distinguishing the facts from the propaganda. Um, and making sure that I didn't, I didn't want to die. I didn't want to uh, endanger my welfare. Just making sure that I knew enough with with enough certainty um, that I didn't take any undue risks. And that's what I did with every single drug. I, I treated every drug in the same manner. Uh, I undertook the same procedure with every single drug. Uh, and the, the procedures that I actually had, I I honed and improved as I went along. And, and I tended to have the, the sort of heroines, the crystal meths later on in the journey. Uh, at a point at which I was very confident that my procedures were were liable to look after me and and uh, guard me from undue risks uh, and problems. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's very easy with with, with the drugs that are renowned and, and considered to be dangerous uh, to have a serious problem. 
Uh, but uh, you can mitigate that significantly and, and if if you actually do the homework, the research, and understand exactly what you what you what you're getting into, and then build the the um, the boundaries around that to protect yourself from yourself, protect you from making mistakes whilst you're under the influence, and that's what I sort to do with all the all the drugs, not just the hard drugs. Uh, but um, I tend to find the other the other aspect of the hard drugs. Uh, drugs that are considered hard like um, heroin and meth and so on and so forth is is that I, I, I tend to find that and it's probably a, a, a reasonably accurate general statement outside psychedelics I've tended to find that, that you, the joy and pleasure you you actually get from the drug yeah, and, and, and you experience is always counterbalanced in some way Afterwards, certainly found that with heroin, definitely crystal meth, um, and and it's it's important to understand that, and, and eventually I came to understand that, so I did realise that if I'm going to take, if I'm going to experiment with a with a hard drug on a, a Sunday or a Monday, I know that for the following week there's a, a, a very good chance it's going to be miserable, there's going to be a payback uh, or or other issues. Uh, and I sought to establish and work out what those issues were and how long this was going to last and, and whether there'd be ongoing difficulties after that. So uh, I think any, all the drugs that I've tested there, and it's, it's virtually all the drugs that normal people have heard of, uh, there are clearly serious risks, uh, but they're all manageable uh, for the normal person if approached sensibly, carefully with due research and due diligence and on low doses um you know about dosage is is imperative isn't it? and it's a it, to get right and it's an individual measure as well so it's it's very very important to go slowly to start low uh, and to follow the largely follow the procedures that i, I developed i guess that's why they're addictive because uh, of those days where you feel miserable, because the way to get rid of it is to take more. That's right, and and people do that. Uh, I mean, the first step to, to to address that is understand that that's going to happen, so that when you do feel miserable, you're well aware why you feel miserable and that it is going to end. Um, I mean, there's MDMA ecstasy. Suicide Tuesday is, is is well known, which is three or four days after the uh, experience. Friday night, Sunday night, you're liable to feel depressed and down, and, and depending on the dose. Um, so, actually, understanding that that's going to happen at the outset will will help manage it. Uh, and when I was test when I was testing all these these drugs, I realised that it could go on forever if I, if I didn't actually get a move on and get through them. I always made sure that uh, I, I planned the ingestion or the, or the use of the drugs around the different classifications. And what I mean by that is if, for instance, I was testing a, sim, a stimulant, uh, amphetamine, for instance, then I would realise that, sure, I was going to have a really nice time, but there was going to be... Uh, I come down and and uh, a rather unpleasant few days at least. Um, but 
I also made sure that I will not have another stimulant now for several weeks. If I, if I want another drug or for the testing of the for the book, I will have another class. Um, I'll have a, a depressant or I'll have a, an empathogen or I'll have something other than a stimulant. So I I, I address that by managing the different drugs that I was actually taking for the for the project uh, in terms of pure recreation um, yeah there's, there's there's bound to be temptation um, if for instance somebody only has access to one particular type of drug to address the come down and the, the the subsequent depression by taking more of the drug and that that is an absolute disaster just you know that is not something that anybody should contemplate at all and, and I do make that clear I read an article about this heroin user uh, who had been using heroin for like 20 years. And uh, the thing with him was he he was quite rich. He had a good job and uh, his family never found out. And he had the, the kind of money where he could always make sure he had good quality and good needles. And he took it like during lunch hour or something and he had a, a structure and it worked fine for him. Uh, so, in the case of heroin, the the biggest uh, problem with it is the the cost and like clean needles and and all that, which is what brings most heroin users down, I imagine. Well, it's 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 more than that. It's it's there's there's risks inherent to the enterprise. You know, the, there's always a risk about with qual, especially nowadays, with the quality of the heroin is it mixed with fentanyl or or, or whatever. Um, so there's always that to be aware of. Um, but the other the other aspect of regular users of heroin, it's it's like alcohol. You know, people will drink every night, um, and they'll be functional. Alcoholics able to carry on um, a normal, on the surface, normal life. But are they actually living? Are they constantly living in a in a haze of alcohol or heroin? Um, and, and and sure, they've got huge tolerance. But you know, rationally, is that what you want from your life? To actually, think, you know, assuming you do have an infinite amount of money to, to pay for all this. Is it the life you actually want? And I, don't think, I don't think anybody would say, yeah, sure, that's what I want to do. Um, so just because somebody is surviving uh, on a regular daily uh, use of, of a drug doesn't mean they're actually not encountering problems in terms of quality of life and experience of life. Uh, so it's not something you would want to do. It's possible. It's possible with alcohol or, 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 or most drugs and, and, and heroin, as you say. But it's not something that's that's in any way desirable uh, in terms of your life experience. They always say that the first time you do heroin is the best, and then you're trying to chase that 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 moment. So maybe if if everybody you know, if you do heroin, you just do it once because it's going to be the best time and then not do it again. But uh, no, I've never done it, so I've, I'm just speculating. But how was it for you? Um, it was, wasn't was very good. I, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I got a, I bought 90 milligrams and I had 52. 
uh, and I, I, I snorted lines of 10 milligrams to keep keep myself topped up. Uh, and, and, and certainly the first two or three hours were increasingly nice, you know, a bit not really euphoric, but not far off. It was, it was okay. It was, you know, for me, the opioid experience isn't, isn't wonderful. It's just nice. It's just pleasant. You feel biologically, you know, it's not, I like psychedelics, but, you know, this is a sort of biological happiness for a short period. Um, after about three hours, I began to feel a little um, nauseous, like seasick, uh, motion sickness type feeling. Uh, three and a half hours, I had to go to bed and lie down, and it was sort of, oh, you know, no, this is very good. Then I vomited. Uh, I got up after bed after about half an hour and vomited again, went back to bed. After about four hours, I was sort of, sort of coming round, feeling a bit better, and of course, then I run straight to to sort of Google, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I know people vomit, but how normal? It very, very normal. So on the first time um, use, uh, it's it's very normal to to vomit, uh, and then there are uh, sources that state that uh, vomiting after use of heroin is an indication of of high quality heroin. Well. <laughs> um, it was it was quite miserable. The next day, after a night's sleep, I had a. It felt very much. I suppose it would. It's sinus depressant. It felt very much like an, an alcohol hangover, and I felt pretty grotty, headache the next day, as you do when you've had too many pints. Uh, so for me, it was it was nice enough for a couple of hours. Uh, thereafter, it deteriorated and it became unpleasant and the next day I had a, a hangover so it wasn't I think it was great I think it was so wonderful that I would rush out and do that again ever uh, I'm not saying it was a terrible experience it it, it was okay for a few hours uh, but again as I was, I was sort of discussing earlier uh, most drugs like this have a have a payback you know most physically energizing euphoric type drugs they have a a payback, you have a, an up, and then there's a consequent down of some sort thereafter. Heroin is definitely falling into that category for me. Well, you always have to remember the point also with addiction is that usually people who become heroin addiction, they're trying to escape some uh, pain they have psychologically of some sort. So maybe... Uh, you were doing it for different reasons, but if you were like completely depressed and you know, then you took heroin, maybe it would have felt even better. Yeah, it would. I mean, it's certainly you know, it's like a super duper diazepam. Uh, it certainly removed any anxiety uh, or any any stress. And as I said, I felt I felt happy. Felt pretty, not quite euphoric, but but very very good. Uh, for a few hours, and then it wore off, and there was the after effect. Um, and if you're in a if you're in a position of, of, of misery, the temptation to, to to have it again is obviously going to be greater. Uh, particularly as as the following day, it would it would no doubt counteract the the hangover as well, hair of the dog in terms of alcohol. So maybe there's a, a dual. Uh, a, a, a dual 
uh, attractor for people to take it again the, the day after in terms of getting rid of the hangover and, and preventing a return to the misery that caused them to take the drug in the first place. Now, the reason you have a hangover when you've drank too much alcohol is because the body is, still, is craving more alcohol. It's like withdrawal symptom. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, people don't think of alcohol as anything, but it is a hard drug. Uh, absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, it is a dangerous drug. It's an addictive drug. Uh, and it's got a, a reasonably low uh, toxicity ratio, meaning that, you know, you have 10 times the effective dose and, 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 and you could die. Now, it's hard to have 10 times the, the effective dose if you're drinking beer, but, you know, certain spirits. So it's, it's a dangerous drug. Um, and it, it's, uh, I think... The experience isn't isn't that far removed from heroin, in that there's a period of of sedation and euphoria, um, and then you move into more sedation, and then you move into a bit of nausea and and and, and a hangover. So the sort of curve is 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 not dissimilar to to heroin, um, and uh, it is a similarly hard drug, and you can you know the habits of of, of, of alcohol, I'll have another drink the next day because I feel so horrible and I only drank because I'm depressed. That is exactly the same sort of trigger for addiction that uh, is in place for heroin as well. I've lived in many areas of the world and so I've lived in communities where there's been a high level of different drug users and I always uh, use the technique of when considering to use a drug to look at what the users look like and Heroin users and crystal meth users, they and cocaine users, uh, they don't look uh, they don't look in a way where, that I want to look. And also, I remember one time I saw this guy who was regularly using speed, and he he just looked like a a zombie in his face. But then when you look at people, uh, there are always exceptions, of course. But everybody I met who regularly uses psychedelics, they kind of look fresh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I sort of categorize psychedelics completely differently to, to every other drug. I mean, it's, it is my main area of, of interest uh, because the other drugs, are, I, I, sort of, I know this is grotesquely generalizing the drug scape, uh, but most of the other drugs have a sort of biological uh impulse in that they they have biological effects they, they make you feel happy they they give you energy they let you physically relax whatever the classification of the actual drug is um and, and that is bound to have an effect on on biology psychedelics by and large are different the main effect is in the head uh altering consciousness um and that is bound again to have less of a biological uh, effect, a biological downer than, than than the other classes of drugs. Uh, so certainly for me, it's 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 by far the most interesting area and rewarding uh, area of drug use. Uh, and it was the start point for my experimentation and. When I finish the book, which I just finished, and I'll go back and choose drugs I want to take rather than than plan them for the basis of a book. It's psychedelic psychedelics I will go back to. It's funny that you started with that because many people who use uh, 
like iboga and ayahuasca, it's to stop taking all those other drugs. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I basically was introduced to psychedelics through academic interest, through uh, reading books and and watching YouTube videos and exposure to to, to people like McKenna. Uh, so that's before I'd, I'd had any psychedelics other than the one LSD experience many years ago. Uh, so I approached drugs from the angle of I'm intellectually interested in psychedelics and I actually want to try some of them. I want to, I want to try LSD again. I want to ayahuasca. I want to DMT and, and, and so on and so forth because I wanted to explore consciousness. Uh, I wanted to elevate consciousness and, and, and actually, um, I mean, I don't have to preach to you because you know, you, you know the, how interesting this area actually is, how fascinating and how it can change perspective. I wanted a wider perspective. I wanted to understand more about reality. I wanted to uh, to see this reality from a different perspective and, and, and a different angle, and, and learn, learn, learn more about what what what, I, what actually am I as an entity. Uh, so that was my approach, and it was only once I started doing that and undertaking that research and prosecuting that interest that I, I realised that, well, I'll actually, if I'm doing this, I have to try dissociatives, I have to try ketamine and some of the others, uh, certainly a, a number of the uh, botanicals. Um, and at that point, that was when I, I realised that I started to believe that I could actually experiment with all these other drugs relatively safely if I really worked hard at the research and the planning and I put all the safety measures in place and wouldn't it be interesting to know what it was like uh, and wouldn't it, after the ayahuasca trip, wouldn't it be useful if I could actually record as many safety parameters as I possibly could for people out there who were taking drugs without this information at their fingertips. Uh, and that's when I saw the picture of the book in my mind. I think it was just shortly after I got back from Peru. Uh, that you know, wow, it, what would make what what would have made this easy easier for me if I wanted to try a certain drug uh, to avoid making a serious mistake, uh, trying to research on the internet, not knowing what sources to trust and what sources not to trust. Or actually read it in a book and find all the references and the parameters and data in that actual book. So I realised that book would have been useful for me had I not been the author of it. So I tried to write the book in terms of how it would help secure my safety if I was coming from a different direction. If I was coming from a, uh, I want to try uh, amphetamine. I've always wanted to try amphetamine. I'm going to try amphetamine. If I've come in it from that direction, um, what would be useful to me? So I pictured a book that actually did that, and, and, and from that point onwards, I was sucked into the project full time for, for quite a few years. I think it's very interesting because I've met so many people, myself included, that have gone to Peru, and when they go back to their normal life, they are on a mission of some sort. They become a missionary 
of they all have different projects different uh, things they're going to do but they all they all do something uh, they become uh, writing books starting organizations uh, starting a company or you know starting a band or whatever you know like it's it's quite ayahuasca is like some sort of agent or some manager i think that's that's that's, that's a true point uh, i mean for me it was you know it was seeing reality from outside really sort of it changes everything you can never you know people say you can never be the same again well perhaps you can't because i i, I wasn't uh I, you know you, you can intellectually imagine the construct we live in what what normal life is and being outside that and, and looking looking from out you can imagine that actually experiencing that sort of thing that sort of perspective uh and knowing it's there and it's a real perspective that can be experienced it makes you see the re- the sort of la- usual life experience in a slightly different manner and i think for me it gave me confidence that when I came back into this, because I could go out again and come back in, when I, when I, when I come back, you know, I was confident that, well, actually, this is only a manifestation and, and, and I can actually check. I can, I can, I'm not the role I'm, I'm uh, playing in this reality. I'm not, that's not what I am. I'm, I'm outside that. I'm, I'm playing a role. I'm a... I'm a, an intelligent monkey, but I'm not that. I'm 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 outside that, and, and it, it changes the way for me. It, you, you look at everything, and it puts things in a different perspective. Uh, and I think it gives it certainly gave me more control over my life decisions, which could be interpreted as as an increased confidence. Uh, and, and and it was after that point that I realised that well, actually, if I if I think I can do a book on this that could help people. Uh, I can do a book on this subject that can help people, um, and and certainly that that that's how it was for me. And like you, I've heard of a lot of people who've been and uh, had the ayahuasca experience have also embarked on on their own their own missions, and it's made fundamental and permanent changes to their lives. Um, and uh, I'm one of that number. Did you ever go down the road of all these prescription drugs that are actually uh, like a plague in society these days? Yeah, I, I, I tried every drug that I could that I found were in common use and I could get my hands on Xanax, uh, everything, all the research chemicals that were at the time were uh, legally available in this country. Uh, you could get so many. Uh, with a with a 24-hour delivery t- to the door, um, so I, I systematically researched the internet, what other people had taken, what various prescription drugs, everything, and and uh, and, and planned the journey to take take them all, um, including the botanicals, which was for me the more interesting uh, part of the journey. Uh, sometimes that there had to be imported uh usually through a, a a website but not not all sometimes i had to travel and, and you know i found uh i had to travel to southeast asia and, and various places around uh 
partly to get hold of the stuff, but also partly because with certainly with some of the ayahuasca is prime example, seeing as a set and setting is so fundamental that it's better to have it have the uh, the drug experience in the in the uh, indigenous um, location. The set and setting, the cultural set and setting of heroin is like a dirty hotel room or an, an alley in, in the consciousness of me anyway, what I imagine. Yeah, so I didn't have to go. <laughs> I just I didn't have to go far, just a, a, a Western European city for that. Um, but uh, just for some of them, it's, it's uh, and, and again, that's a re- that brings a richness to the, the, the experience. That is is not there with usually with the chemicals, and 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 that's one of the reasons I do prefer the the botanicals to the to the chemicals. Most of the drugs, not maybe all, I'm not sure, but most of them are a plant from the beginning, and you know, like heroin, like is opium, and and cocaine is coca leaves. I've I've actually used coca leaves, but. Uh, it was in Peru, but when you eat the coca leaves, it just makes you feel normal because of the altitude, so you don't get an effect. I don't know what it would feel like to eat them at a normal altitude. So I think that like, in their pure form, they are also medicines, but they have been like enhanced and used in the wrong way. It's like what Paracelsus says, the dosage is the difference between medicine and poison. Yeah, and the certainly you're right. The cocaine from coca leaves, coca leaves, absolutely nothing like cocaine. For me, it were, I had that in Peru too, uh, for the altitude sickness, and I'm not sure whether it had any effect. I mean, it was the tea that and chewing the leaves was just like having a no, not not just like, but a, a, a little like having a cup of caffeine-based tea. And that perhaps there was a bit of stimulation, but you know, so low level that perhaps it's, uh, there wasn't. Um, so, but yeah, I, I mean, it's true that a lot of the, the drugs like heroin are extracts from, from plants. Um, but for, for, for quite a few of them, the actual plant experience has other alkaloids in, with it embraced in the experience from the plant. So it's, it's, there is significant differences sometimes with the uh, the botanical version to the chemical version. In my life, I've had the chance to try most hard drugs, but I didn't because of an early experience I had with insomnia and I was studying and uh, I just couldn't get to sleep. So I decided to try sleeping pills just to because I needed something to to help me. Uh, this was before I realized skunk or weed is probably better, but... Uh, but the the feeling of falling asleep on these sleeping pills was so unnatural and so unnerving and horrible. And when I woke up, I, I was extremely tired. So I fell asleep, but I, I didn't feel rest uh, like I had rested anything. And uh, so after that experience, that just formed my opinion of these like chemical drugs. So that's the reason I. All these opportunities I had, where I said, "No, I'm not interested." Yeah, it's 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 knowledge and information, um, and I've got a saying on the, I've got on, on on the back. People are dying because of ignorance. They're dying because unremitting propaganda is denying them essential safety information. 
they die and because legislators and the media are censoring the science and are ruthlessly pushing an ideologically ideological agenda instead. They're dying because the first casualty of war is truth, and the war on drugs is no different. And what you've described there is a, this is a typical underlying problem that underpins what the words I've just read, in that people do not have the information at their fingertips. Uh, you didn't have the information, how long was this sleeping pill going to last? Would, th would there be a knock-on effect for subsequent days? How would I feel when I was taking it? What dose should I be taking? For what effect? Um, and all, well, not all, but a lot, so many problems uh, with drug, drug use uh, are created through uh, lack of knowledge and information uh, and so many bad experiences like yours, again, stem from lack of knowledge and information. What do you think about this thing that Portugal has done where they just legalized everything and with some great success where the drug use has gone down and less issues with it? I think that's got to be the, the, the way uh, prohibition doesn't work. It kills. Uh, now There was a video for the book that was released two days ago which went through the war on drugs from Nixon in 1971 right through to Trump. Um, and, and it actually had a, a, some footage of, of, of five presidents uh, making the usual statements, we're going to win the war on drugs, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and then buying the graphs of, of mass incarceration ever increasing, uh, the graphs of, of, uh, of deaths uh, per 100,000 of the population ever increasing. Uh, you know, how much evidence do they actually need it's 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 beyond any measure of doubt that prohibition is an absolute disaster um and and there's back to the phrase i just read from the back of the book uh education regulation of quality um as it's going to save lives uh and it's going to be have a massive impact upon the the uh horrendous situation that that uh that we're enduring at the moment as a planet. If we were going to solve the HIV epidemic uh, back in the 80s with, uh, you know, making sex illegal, then the human race would have died out. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's an insane approach, and it's particularly insane given how many decades of of, of death and human misery we've 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 actually experienced since this started, and still, uh, it's not changed. Apart from a few, a few places like Portugal, where where uh, enlightenment has suddenly taken hold, but uh, you know it, it's just quite insane that it continues year on year on year on, and 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 there's so much misery stemming from it. What they really should say, those presidents, is that we, I promise to win the war on depression. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's a, a sort of, I mean, I can see how it's it's been perpetuated because. A, a politician who's who's hard on drugs uh, wins votes. Why does he win votes? Because the media is constantly feeding the public with propaganda, um, misinformation, um, and the public are being conditioned to to, to uh, accordingly. So they'll they'll respond positively to to the to strong hand, and rather than you know it's it's a sort of double edged. Uh, problem here in the, the path who's driving it the media or the politicians they both are 
somewhere at some point that's got to be broken and the, the public have got to be told the truth, understand the truth, and this has got to stop because it's, it's killing people all the time. And how many people are incarcerated for drug offences? Millions across the world. It's hard for me to understand that all, you know, most people in the world that are normal people that have this view that believed all the propaganda and those drug users are evil and they should be stopped. But most of those people, they're also drug users, usually, you know, alcohol or tobacco or, or caffeine. But of those three, I guess uh, caffeine is the is the uh, smallest problem. The major problem is alcohol, but they don't see themselves, I guess, as addicted drug users. It's, it's the cultural engineering, the cultural influence of the media and society that's, that, that's causing this ignorance. And, you know, having said that, there are, this is the UN, United Nations data, 247 people used drugs in the last year, 247 million people. Now, that's illegal drugs, not, not uh, alcohol and tobacco. You know, if, if, if people actually understood uh, that alcohol was a strong, hard drug, the majority of the human race uh, consume drugs. But forgetting that for a minute, there's still 247. That's the population of the UK, France and Germany combined use illegal drugs every year. And that's a staggering number of people uh, on this planet, regardless of the war on drugs, are still using them. Uh, and this is why there are so many deaths, because a tiny percentage of 247 million people is still thousands upon thousands of people. And it's also stupid because they want to, you know, they want to win the war on drugs because drug, drugs causes criminality, you know, like people rob each other or they do burglary and all this, these crimes. But, you know, you can have those crimes be illegal, but if the drug is legal, then those crimes would, you know, lessen by themselves. You know? Politicians need to grow some balls and, and, and actually have the courage to tell the truth. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of them understand that the war on drugs is, is, is perpetuating death and misery. Uh, and they have to somehow get the, uh, gather the courage and, and, and start to tell the truth. Uh, and start to drive the media to expose the truth and provide information um, to the public. Uh, if that happens, uh, things will change. Until that happens, I can't see any any way it can change because uh, knowledge is the only way forward. And I'm sure in the polit political world, uh, amphetamines and cocaine is quite common, I, I imagine. <laughs> Oh, I mean, what was it? Cocaine. They, they, they actually worked out how many people were using cocaine in all the major cities through the testing the sewerage. Um, and I think the highest, the highest in in this country in the UK, that the highest uh, percentage of of, uh, re of residents and workers were in uh, Bristol and the city of London, bankers financial institutions, <laughs> you, know, you know, wow, you know, the highest percentage of cocaine use is actually in the square mile in, in, in London. Um, the people who are working in financial services and high-powered uh, banking jobs, it's just, you know, it makes you realise that, it's you know, the drug user isn't necessarily the, the archetype that you imagine.
was it easy to to get those hard drugs or did you you know uh, go to different sources or did you have to walk around on the street looking for them i know it's pretty easy in in england but still yeah i had to it depends on the on, on the actual drug um, I mean, I didn't want to get arrested. <laughs> uh, so, I, I mean, there, there's certain places in Europe that are tolerant, like, you know, Portugal, um, Amsterdam to some degree, uh, which which I, I've I visited for the purpose of, of legally uh, testing the drugs. Um, so it's a, it's a variety. I mean, as I said early, earlier, that I was very lucky that the legal high window was, was was still open in this country. So apart from when I when I did the, most of the research, so apart from the the, the headline acts like cocaine and and, and uh, heroin and crystal meth, amphetamine, a lot of the drugs that people use were legal. I mean, when I first started, methadone legal. Um, so a lot of these. Uh, commonly used drugs now were at the time legal to procure and legal to use in this country, so I was quite looking. And all botanicals were were legal, other than cannabis and a handful of others. I could import iboga. Um, I could import you know, so many of them uh, and just just take them legally without any any threat of of arrest or legal legal persecution. So it was quite lucky until May 2016 when the sort of hammer came down and it became legal to possess these things but illegal to import them and and, and, and because it became illegal to, to sell them, it became harder to get hold of them for, for the just casual user like myself. So after having tried all these drugs, what is your uh, your pick for the drugs that you could consider in the future? Psychedelics. Uh, I mean, people, you know, often say, well, what's the best drug? Uh, well, it depends. Best drug for for what? Best drug to provide energy? That's a stimulant. Best drug to relax? Cannabis or, or, or uh, depressant. Um, but if, for me, as a, going forward, probably uh, I've got more work to do with DMT and might have uh, another visit to Peru, um, and 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 a few maybe LSD, one P LSD, which is still legal to possess in this country. So there's there's a bit of of work I want to do with with psychedelics from a recreational, uh, self exploration uh, perspective, um, rather than certainly there's no chance of of. Uh, I've ever taken another opioid, um, and probably not. I wouldn't uh, intoxicating depressants, GHB, or no, 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 no. Probably by and large, uh, maybe cannabis, maybe, uh, but certainly the psychedelics and a, and a couple of dissociatives are the areas I would actually uh, pursue for recreational pleasure. Uh, as opposed to hard research for a project like this one. So you feel like uh, you uh, uh, are immune now from all hard drugs by doing it in this manner. If you like something happens in the future, you become very depressed. There will be less likely that you will turn to to heroin or something like that. 
Oh, I think there's zero chance of, of turning to, to heroin or, or, or a, a drug to resolve real life issues um, because of you know, even alcohol. I mean, I used to be a normal drinking person. Um, and at some point during the course of the writing of the book, uh, I began to see it as what it actually is. It's a drug like every other drug I was testing. So I don't drink. Uh, maybe very rarely if, if there's a particularly nice alcoholic drink in a certain situation, I will. But as a sort of regular um, occurrence, no, I, I, I don't drink anymore. And it's because uh, I, I adopt, adopt the same approach to alcohol as, as every other drug, which is, well, what's it going to do to me? What am I going to feel like? Um is there a balance there between the the pleasure and the and the discomfort and uh, take a rational decision and and also understanding that you know these no drug uh, in in terms of, of most people people who aren't really seriously uh, disturbed uh, all drugs of that nature are going to have a rebound effect and and no drugs are going to resolve the underlying issue. Um, so, yeah, I think there's no chance of of, uh, of taking drugs like those, but uh, drugs that help to expand boundaries and dissolve boundaries and and explore consciousness and and, and uh, produce intellectual stimulus, yeah, they're the ones that I would uh, certainly use, uh, but never use. I would never use a drug to resolve a personal issue because it's it's sticking plaster on a on a, a gaping chasm it's not going to do the job it's like the sufi poet rumi says the cure to pain is the pain yeah i, I mean address the actual cause of the issue um and you know temporary measure if you know you can see arguments to to, to actually use a drug uh to eliminate short-term pain for a short period in, you know in a medical context um but in terms of of long-term self-medication absolutely not in terms of using a hard drug um to escape certainly not um you know it makes that's this sort of study does make you sort of far more discerning in terms of of of, of what drugs you're going to consume uh, going forward. Um, I mean, there, there are a few others that I, I do want to try, very rare botanicals I've managed to get hold of, which I will do if I can. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, recreation, and it's, it's, I think it's probably, by and large, going to be psychedelics. And how can people get your book? And uh... Well, the, the website is honestdrugbook.com that's honestdrugbook three words stuck together as one honestdrugbook.com and and I say that instead of just saying Amazon, it's on it's on Amazon uh, virtually every Amazon across the world uh, and you search on honest, the Honest Drug Book you, you'll find the book but the reason I mentioned the website is, is that you can actually see the table of contents full table of contents and sample pages uh, prior to purchasing the book, and you know, you can have a look at the sample pages, and and that that will enable you to decide whether it's a book for you to buy. Uh, and it's also got the the most important 
uh, part of the book, which is the safety procedure on the on the website. Uh, even if um, if you have no intention of buying the book, if you're taking drugs, uh, and particularly if you're taking hard drugs, go onto the website, have a look at the safety procedure. It's on the top left-hand corner. Click it and read it, because that will introduce ten a 10-step procedure, 10 safety measures to take. Everybody should take them uh, to mitigate risk uh, and enhance personal safety. Some simple things, allergy test, research, how to weigh the dose and research the through to more complicated, slightly more complicated steps. Uh, but, you know, that's the thrust of the book. It's, it's safety. Um, it's not how to have a joyride, it's how to, if you're going to take drugs, how to do it, make it as safe as possible, what what, what to avoid, um, what, what can you do to look after yourself. Uh, that's the, that's, those 10 steps are on the website, free, go and read them uh, and, and make sure that you're actually practicing all those if you do intend to take uh, any drug, but in particular, if you're you're going to be taking any hard drug that that, that might cause uh, harm or or uh, damage personal welfare. Uh, go and read that. And that's onstrugbook.com. Top left hand corner. Safety procedures. Because I, what I thought was good with reading those sample pages was that normally when you read about drugs, it's usually written by somebody who is trying to scare you away from not doing them, and from by a person who has not done it him or herself but uh, reading those sample pages you can actually follow the the experience as it's as it unfolds and uh, i also got the sense that you know i uh, don't have an interest in taking uh, amphetamines but reading your experience i I now know that i don't have an interest in taking it uh, based on what so people can like try these drugs by reading the book I imagine, uh, so, you know, let you suffer instead of them, you know. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'd say the drugs so that you don't have to. There's a degree of that. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, I I actually examined, I said at the start that there was, um, I was reading forums and and people were dying and and, uh, that was happening quite often. Uh, And I was, I started to try and work out, well, why why are these people dying? What, what, What are they doing wrong? Um, and for a number of them, I could actually work it out and categorise exactly what 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 mistakes had been made. Um, and I got down to about seven or eight, and they included like you know they took too much. Well, how do you take too much of a, of a drug? Well, first of all, there are certain drugs where you can wait twenty minutes, nothing's happened. I'll have another one because it's not worked. Well, that's that's ignorance because you don't know that the the onset for that drug is is ninety minutes. So that's 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 one factor, and that's why for all the drugs that are covered in there, I've got what the onset value is. That's vital information. If you're going to take a drug, know how long it's going to take to take effect. Secondly, simple overdose took too much. Well, how does that happen? Well, there's there's a number of reasons that can happen. One is you don't know what the dose actually is for the normal person. What's a low dose? What's a, a moderate dose? What's a high dose? Um, You've not taken the 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 the, the, uh, the advice in the first section, which is the allergy test, the small dose, and work upwards. So there's there's ignorance on what the dose is, and, and here's, here's a here's a common one. Um, 
everybody around you, you're taking heroin. Prime example, you go somewhere, everybody's taking 100 milligrams of heroin or whatever, whatever it is, and you think, well, that's okay, they're all right, I'll have it. Well, these are heroin users. You've got a huge tolerance, and you haven't. So, again, what you need is data. You need information. So I've got that's why the dosage, generic dosage thresholds are there for each particular drug so that you actually understand, well, just because you're in company that's taking this dose doesn't mean that you can have that dose uh, because these are users and they've got tolerance. What about if you're overweight? Like, can you take more? Is that a myth? That's not a myth. It depends on the drug. Uh, but certainly, the the, um, the 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 for a lot of drugs, it does the, the dose depends on your personal attributes. Um, and I, I did specify mine in the book so that when I when I, when I explain what I'd had and what experience I had with the drug, um, I, I, I I covered what dose I'd had, and that is and that that is mapped against my own personal physiology, my weight and height and build uh now obviously somebody smaller would would, would realize that well actually I'll, I'll have less than him but um uh, i was very careful to never jump in on a too on a too high dose and mixing i guess is also a, a reason people die yeah combinations um trips it to a, a wonderful chart fantastic chart on what 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 combinations are particularly problematic uh, so I've got a reference to that in there. Um, so that, that is another one. Combinations are another. Um, Half-life, how long drugs stay in your system? So if you're going to have another drug, you know, this is combination still. So, you know, this this sort of information is specified for each drug because it's actually vital information. Now, if somebody's going to take a drug, um, you know, don't just take the drug. No. Use the safety procedure, which is provided on the website, to, to, but also know what the, the the for the specific drug that you're going to take. Know that know have the data to hand, understand the data, understand what the experience is going to be. That's why I did the trip reports, the experience reports for each drug. It wasn't just to say, "Oh, this was jolly, jolly nice. Look at me." It was it was so that you know what mental state you are going to be in at various stages of that experience. What you're going to be capable of doing, what you're not going to be capable of doing, what you're going to be thinking, are you going to be susceptible to redosing and binging? Um, so that's that, that's the actual purpose of the, of, of the write-up and the, the experience report for each of the drugs, to try and articulate for the user what it is going to be like you know, you, you know, quite clearly for some of the drugs, you don't want to be in the middle of a major city under the influence in that state that I was in. So it's it's all it's all relevant to safety, um, all of it. The trip reports are superfluous and 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 and, and, and you know added on for entertainment. They are actually there because they serve a, a vital f- purpose uh, in in terms of contextualising the drug. Uh, and enhancing safety. And problems can sneak up on you even if you are prepared because I have a personal example where I I went to Gabon and did iboga and it was a wonderful experience and iboga is like a powder. And then many years later back home 
I was given uh, uh, my boga as a gift in in capsules. So I arranged the ceremony, I decided when to do it, and I had a perfect set and setting, and I had like several days afterwards, because I know it takes uh, a while to get back to baseline with iboga. And, uh, you know, I prepared and did everything correctly, and I ate it. And I knew from experience doing it the first time that it took about an hour, 90 minutes. So two hours went by, and I was like, oh, maybe because I knew they were old. I mean, he'd had them for a while, so I thought, oh, maybe they don't work. And then three hours had gone by, so I thought, oh, it's does it, they're, they're not working. So I um, I was outside, so I went back home. And uh, after a while, I forgot I'd taken it, and I just started watching a, a shitty movie with Nicolas Cage. And halfway through the movie, like four hours later, I... I found myself, I had trouble following the plot. And it was like a stupid Hollywood movie. So it, it was, and usually I can predict the plot in those, but I couldn't. And I started thinking about Nicolas Cage and how he, what, about his life and like all these deep th- thoughts about Nicolas Cage. And then I suddenly looked away from the TV and I realized like I was deep in this iboga and, uh, I freaked out at first and then my wife helped me downstairs to the bed and then I had a wonderful experience. But uh, what I had failed to realize was that the capsules the iboga was in took hours to dissolve. So that was like, uh, you know, I was prepared but I failed to realize that vital point of information, you know. So imagine... Luckily not, but imagine if like after three hours, like oh, I'll just drive, drive into town or something like you know. This is how this is how it uh, how it can can go horrifically wrong. Um, you know, when when I had whatever drug I had, that was that was it. And and I made as I mentioned earlier that when when I'd had a dose, I'd set the maximum, and then I'd I'd, I'd, I'd generally make sure I couldn't get any more of it. And I'd have a rule, never, I've had a drug today, I'm not having anything else. And I'm not putting myself in a situation uh, in which I could be exposed to danger because, the, the, you know, there's always going to be a degree of of, um, of difficulty in, in, in precisely projecting what's going to happen with the drug and, and working out where you're going to be, where your headspace is going to be. Um, so, you know, these are, it's never underestimate drugs, always take them seriously. Uh, and always pay due respect, um, because whenever you embark on a trip of any of any of any sort with any drug, um, you're making a serious change to your mind and potentially your body. Uh, and think about that. You know that's that's no small undertaking. It's your life, and you're 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 temporarily changing the way you're going to view reality in in one way or another. Now that's a quite significant thing. Uh, and and it's not something that should ever be forgotten. Um, and definitely plan plan for plan you know for the day, for the foreseeable after you've had the drug, in case as you know that was a great example. Um, four hours later, now nobody would imagine no, normal circumstances that that it was suddenly going to kick in and take effect. It's like my nutmeg. You know, I thought gone to bed three hours later. 
well, that was a failure. It's, it's, this book's rubbish. It's, it's a bag of lies. And then look what happened to me. It was uh, absolutely horrendous. Uh, I could have got out drinking. Now, can you imagine? And this is how mistakes are made. Um, so, you know, always always have due respect for the drug or botanical uh, and, and plan it and understand what you're getting into and what you're doing and know exactly what you're taking um, before you do it. Uh, because it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing what you're doing when you're taking a, a drug or a botanical. So say their website again. Honestdrugbook.com. Altogether, no dashes, no dots. www.honestdrugbook.com. Cool. Well, thank you a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast. My pleasure. Thehonestdrugbook.com. Check it out. More often than not, people who take drugs do so because they need relief. So let's listen to the song Relief by Sam Quick from the album The Way Forward. Go to samquick.bandcamp.com if you like what you hear. If you want to support the podcast, give it a nice review on iTunes. And if you have something you ponder about, drop me a line and I might bring it up in a future episode. And you can also become a patron, of course. All the links and contact forms and everything else can be found on naturalbornalchemist.com. Next week's episode is going to tackle Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Freedom is in the mind. You call me slip. I'm just so passionate now. I know your mission. I know your rationale. Seem to misplace it. My trust in other peace. I need a place to lie. I need a fossil. Okay.